and welcome to Seance Lab, where we talk all things true crime and paranormal. We are your hosts, Sydney. And I'm Drea. So, it's actually our first episode. We are trying this new equipment out. It might be a disaster. might be amazing. We don't know. We're vibing through it right now. Yeah. So, it's something Vibing is a word for it. You said what? Uh, Eh. That was... We're we're just here. We're here. We're here. Um, so we actually have two stories lined up today. I am doing a paranormal story, and what are you doing, Andrea? I'm doing a true crime story. Which I, is one of my favorite ones. I think you'll really like it. Oh, I'm really, actually really excited. <laughs> um, so before we actually start talking about the stories, um, maybe we should talk about how we came up with doing the podcast. Sure. I think I was manic, and I was just like, let's just do it, <laughs> and you're like... And I was your friend, and I still am your friend, and I said, sure. No, you did not. What do you mean? You were so against doing it. Okay, at first I was hesitant, and then I thought about it, and I thought it was, I, th- I just think it's something fun to do for the yeah. both of us. It'll, and listen, times are stressful, COVID, work, school, everything, and it's like a little distraction, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like a side game, not not a game, it's like a hobby. I think mm-hmm. it's fun. I like it. Yeah. I'm excited for it. I'm we're ready here, for it. Here, it's going to be here. good. It's going to be good. I'm feeling it. But no, I'm actually really excited for the podcast. Like, you were saying that it's a good hobby. And I know we definitely talked about, like, making a podcast before COVID. But now that, like, we're nine months deep and it's basically a baby, we might as well just, like, <laughs> commit to it and be like, all right, you're this born. Is, Let's just, yeah. I think after I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to throw some money in between jobs on to getting recording equipment we're just like hmm, now we really can't back out i yeah, can't no return kidding. it back it's okay no we're here i believe we i believe in you oh we believe in this i believe in you oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right so we need to figure out who is gonna go first do you want to go first do you want i me can to go, first? go first if you want me to yeah i kind of want to sit back pretty long so yeah you need to sit yeah back. no i'll you, sit back i'll yeah. enjoy sit myself back, for a minute relax Drink some water. Ooh, I am thirsty. Drink some water. No. Drink some fucking water. So you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I'm going to do a true crime story. This is one of my favorite cases. I hope you'll like it. It's called, or I titled it, The Sodder Children Case. What? The Sodder Children Case. The Sodder Children? Yeah, the Sodder is the last name of the family that this happened to. Why? I don't think I've heard this story. You haven't? No, Great. No. Okay. So it takes place in Fayetteville, I think I'm saying that right, West Virginia. The year is 1945. It's the day before Christmas, which is like fitting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So at the time that this happens, like I told you, it's the day before Christmas, 1945. George and Jenny Sauter and nine out of their ten kids went to bed at like around like one in the morning. And then a fire broke out at like one in the morning when they were all sleeping. That's what I meant to say, sorry. So George and Jenny and four of the other children got out fine. The other five were stuck upstairs in their bedrooms. Yeah. What, did they lock the door? No. So basically, like, the other five children that were still upstairs shared two bedrooms between themselves, Mm -hmm. and they were, like, in the rooms. And so they couldn't get out because, you know, the fire started, and so the staircase got blocked off by the fire. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, mind you. George, Jenny, the parents, and four out of the kids were outside and not in the fire, not in the house. And then there's still 
There's still five kids inside the house. How did they have so many kids? Like they had ten kids, bro. Okay, so like I come from like an Irish Catholic background, right. and like there's so many stereotypes for like you're gonna have a ton of kids, and then they had that many kids. Yes. The reason there's only nine out of ten in this story is because one of the kids was away in the army at the time uh-huh. when this was happening, so that's why it's like nine out of ten. Anyways, nine out of ten deaths is saying that's a lot of kids. <laughs> Make sure you I have the fire escape on your second floor. <laughs> um. Anyways, okay. So George, the dad, tried to go back into the house to mm-hmm. save his kids because they're his kids. You know, like full on dad mode, try to go in and save his kids. He wants the um, father's day mug. I get it. Yeah, and he couldn't go in, and I think he ended up like cutting himself in his arm. Um, cause he broke a window trying to get back into the house. Mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't do anything though cause there was so much smoke and all the flames and the flames had just completely taken over the first floor cause I told you it's a two story house. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, their office and their bedroom downstairs was like just covered in flames and they couldn't even like find a way to get up there. Yeah. Okay. You're in for a ride, dude. Uh, it's already crazy already. Yeah. So the kids that were safe outside included two-year-old Sylvia, 17-year-old Marion, 23-year-old John, and 16-year-old John Jr. The kids still inside the house were 14-year-old Maurice, 12-year-old Martha, 9-year-old Louis, and 8-year-old Jenny, and also 5-year-old Betty, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like all different age ranges, if you couldn't tell. So, like I told you, dad was in full dad mode trying to save his kids. Yeah. Um... So this is where things start to, like, really take a turn for, like, the weird route. Okay. So, George always had a ladder up against the house. For some reason, you know, dad thinks, I- I'm gonna know. paint eventually. I'm gonna clean the gutters eventually. eventually. It's fine. So he had a ladder always propped up against the house. Yeah. The ladder was nowhere to be found. Wait. It was gone. No ladder in sight. Literally. Well, that's really convenient. Yeah, no, for real. He also had two, two... Two? Like, one, two. Oh, I can count. Coal trucks. Um, they didn't have coal inside of them. I'm pretty sure they didn't. Uh-huh. But basically, he had, like, the idea that he could, like, start up his trucks and move them close to the house so that he could climb on top of the trucks, break a window to get his kids. Oh, that's smart, yeah. Yeah. Only thing is, the trucks wouldn't start. Wait, what? Yeah. And it's weird because the trucks, the day before this happened, were working perfectly fine. So the trucks wouldn't start at all. So then that didn't work, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, he also had the idea to sneak water out of a barrel that they had. Mind you, this is the day before Christmas, so it's cold. Um, so the water was frozen solid, so that wasn't a possible Just thing. Just throw anyway. ice cubes at it? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so while this is happening, while the dad is like, you know, gears are shifting in his brain trying to figure out a way to save kids, one of the daughter, Marion, she, um actually ran over to one of the neighbor's houses mm-hmm. to try to get them to call the, you know, the fire department. Yeah. Um, so the neighbors do, but there was no response from the operator. Really weird. Don't know why. So then another neighbor that lives close to the Slaughter family saw the fire and called the fire department too, and they also didn't get a response from the operator. Which is weird, because it's, it's an emergency. You'd think that somebody yeah. would Um, so eventually one of the neighbors actually drove into town to try to find the fire department and he actually tracked down fire chief j no fj morris and so he started what's called like a phone tree where basically he would call a firefighter and they would call another firefighter and tell them where to go right so that happened and mind you the fire department 
was only two and a half miles away from the home where mm-hmm. the fire was happening. The crew didn't get there until eight in the morning. They could have just walked over there. <laughs> like, hey, you excuse me. Might as well. House is on fire. Can you come, like, Can help me out? Can you please help me? Mind you, the house fire started at, like, one in the morning. So they were late, late getting there. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so when the, basically when they got there, the house was just ash. Yeah. Nothing left. Um, so the Slaughter family basically assumed that their other five siblings were dead. Um, but they did a search of the house, and there were no traces of remains of mm-hmm. the kids or anything like that. And Chief Morris even suggested that the fire was so hot to cremate the bodies that it cremated the bodies. This, though, isn't accurate because even when you cremate a body, the bones will still remain. Yeah. Um, it's very, it takes a lot for bones to, like, burn. Mm-hmm. There were also no claims of the smell of burning flesh during or even after the fire. That's also another, you know, tell. Jenny, the mom, also even began experimenting, burning different types of animal bones down the road to see if that was even, like, a possible thing that could happen. Like, you know, bones burning to the point where they're just ash. She tried different foot. Wait, she just went, like, down the street. She's like, I'm gonna just start burning some bones. Like, like what are the, like, the, the neighbors? They'd be like, oh, there she, she goes, was burning bones. Closer. I, so I don't tried, blame her. Yeah, she was uh, just basically trying to figure out where the bones were at. Yeah. There were no bones. Um, so she tried burning chicken bones, beef joints, pork chop bones, and all out of everything she tried, the bones, no matter what, still left some form of remain behind. Mm-hmm. So there was no way that the bones were just cremated and gone. Um, she even spoke to a crematorium employee, and she found out that bones were left behind even after being burned in... 2,000 degree Fahrenheit heat um, for two hours. And the fire at their house only lasted 45 minutes. So there's just no science, like, no way yeah. that was a thing. And it's also weird because even after the house burned down, there were still remains of, like, the furniture and some appliances behind. And so there's just, it's just weird, you know? It's a weird theory. And then so a state police inspector even looked through the rubble, and he even said that the house was caused by, or the fire was caused by faulty wiring. It's weird because George, the dad, had had the wires checked by a company a week before the fire, and they said that they was fine. Everything was fine. Eventually, like a year later, or before the new year, coroner's office issued death certificates for the five kids, saying that they died from fire or suffocation, even though they had no bodies. And George, the dad, eventually covered the remains of the house and the basement was still standing, so he just basically covered everything with five feet of dirt. Kind of like a memorial to them. Memorial. Sorry. Okay. So more weird things happened. You thought that was weird. Yeah, I did. No. So, a stranger, a few months back before the fire, looked at the house's two fuse boxes, because he was trying to get, like, a job from, like, a company, and they're like, oh, I can work for you. Like, this was the olden days, so things were weird. So he looked at the two fuse boxes and pointed at them and said, quote, those are going to st- cause a fire someday. And then this was also weird because at the time, George had also had them checked out again by a local power company, and they said everything was okay for the second time, mm-hmm. right? Around the same time, there was another stranger that tried to sell the family, like, life insurance of some sort, and George declined it, and then the man got angry and basically said, <laughs> this is so stupid, he said, quote, your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to pay for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. That was really specific, like... Yeah. 
What did it even say about Mussolini? Where in that? Basically, George had migrated to the United States from Italy, uh-huh. and he had like kind of like joined like a little Italian community in his town, um, and he was just not afraid to speak out against Mussolini, saying like all these bad things about him, and people were like, they were like, okay, you need to chill out. So, and then the guy hears this, comes to his house, says, "Hey, you want life insurance?" No, well, you're gonna get it, and your you're gonna kids, die. your house is gonna burn. Yeah, like I, so, you know, I've been angry at people before. Be like, hey, you should buy this membership because I have to do this, and they say no, and then in my mind, I'm just like, that would be so fine, but never just like get your house. Yeah, it's gonna burn. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> so this was weird because it's like everything he basically threatened happened. So it's kind of like it's kind of suspicious. Yeah. I think this is the guy who did it. But no. Anyways. George apparently did not take this threat seriously at all or anything like that. He was just kind of, you know how dads do when they just laugh it off and they're like, oh, okay, have a good day. You know? That's kind of what he did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Another weird thing that happened was that the oldest son that was with the family, he said that he recalled a man parked along U.S. Highway 21 and he was apparently watching all the younger solder children coming home from school. Which was weird. This was the day before Christmas. Ugh. Yeah. Or, like, a couple, like, the week before Christmas. Yeah. So it's, like, scoping out the house, watching the kids. Watching the kids is just weird. Yeah. Like, the kids out of everything, you know? Yeah. Anyways. They're the other houses. Why are you being weird? Exactly. Why are you (laughs) watching them? The day that this, the fire started at around, like, 1230 a.m., the phone rang, and Jenny, the mom, she went to answer it. She said she heard an unfamiliar woman's voice who asked for a name that she didn't recognize, and she also heard laughter in the back and glasses clinking, so it's kind of like a party, because it's Christmas, you know? People have parties. And so then Jenny said, you have the wrong number, and hung up. And so in that moment, she was downstairs. You know, that's where the phone was at. Her bedroom was also in the downstairs level of her house. And so she noticed that all the lights were still on and that the curtains were open and the door was unlocked. The front door was unlocked. So it's a little weird. She also... I know this is, like, an old-timey thing, because, like, of all the other podcasts we listen to, they'll always just be like, yeah, and they left their door open. I just... Mistake number one. Yeah, mistake number one, you left your door unlocked. Don't yeah, do that. Yeah, literally. Yeah, so it was weird. But she also saw her daughter, Ma- Marion, I think is how you say her name. She also saw her asleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. So that's that. So she did what any mom would do, and she fixed everything. So she closed the curtains, turned the lights off, locked the door, and then she started going back to her room. Okay, I take back my comment then. <laughs> it was just weird to see her door unlocked you know, at yeah. like 12.30 in the morning. You know, usually everybody's asleep by then. So then she said while she was dozing off, she heard a loud bang on the roof and then something rolling off. And so that it's was also Santa. weird. <laughs> and so that was also weird. And then an hour later, she woke up because there was smoke coming into her room. So that's when the fire started. There was a telephone repairman that told them that the, the phone line seemed to have been cut not burned by the fire, so that's also a little sketchy and a little weird. The theory that the fire was caused by faulty wiring is also very weird, since there was evidence that the lights were on and that the phone rang, so if it was faulty wiring, none of those things would have ever happened. Like, at 12.30 a.m., you know, the lights would have been off if it was faulty wiring. So then, there was a witness that came forward and said that he saw a man with a block and tackle. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. I haven't. And it's basically used to remove car engines. 
And do you remember how I told you that the two coal trucks wouldn't start? Yeah. So they think that the car engines were taken out. I don't know if they looked in the, into the cars to see if the engines were missing or anything like that. They probably didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, like, somebody said that, hey, I saw this dude with, like, the thing to take engines out of cars. Apparently, he saw this the night of the fire, which would explain why, you know, the trucks wouldn't start. Mm-hmm. And one day, when the family was revisiting their house, you know, kind of just, like, paying their respects to the kids, Sylvia, the youngest daughter, who was two at the time, she found an object in the yard, and George, the dad, basically made the conclusion that it was a pineapple bomb, which is basically a thing that was used in the war. Yeah. Okay. So it was weird. That's all I had on that. There have been sightings of the children. Wait, what? I thought they died. No. Like, allegedly died. Allegedly, yes. But allegedly, no. Okay. Okay. So the first claim was that a woman said that she saw all five kids in a car the night of the fire while the fire was still going. So, like, she basically saw them all in a car, like, passing her the night of the fire. Mm. Another woman, these are all, like, women testimonies, which I thought was funny because it's just, like, up until this point it's just been men. Yeah. Another woman said she saw the children the day after the fire, 50 miles away from, 50 miles west, and said that she served them breakfast. And she saw that the car that they were driving in, or, like, riding in, had Florida plates on it. Mind you, they're in West Virginia, so it's yeah. kind of weird. Another woman said she saw their photos in the newspaper, and then she saw them a week after the fire. So, quote, it's kind of a long quote. says, the children were accompanied by two women and men of Italian extraction. I don't remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register a hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered at about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to the children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner, turned around, and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party started stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, so I said nothing more. They left early next morning. So she, like, saw them at, like, a hotel. Yeah. And, like, knew that they were with, like, Italian people. Which is weird because the family is Italian, since George came from Italy. Mm-hmm. And so that was also another weird. But then in 1947, they, the Sauter family tried to get the FBI involved. That didn't happen, though, because all the, like, the fire department and the police department that were supposed to be, you know, solving the case said, no, we don't need the FBI's help. We got it. It's fine. We know what we're doing. We don't need help. Yeah. And <laughs> Your so, kids are gone, but you don't. Yeah, and fine. so the FBI wasn't allowed to come in and interrupt the case and help them at all, like, in any way at all. So that's kind of, you know, sad. So then the Sodders hired a private investigator. His name is C.C. Kinlan, which is, like, the coolest name ever. He found out that basically the men that the men that tr- threatened George earlier that said, "Oh, you're, I'm gonna burn your house down," you know that guy? Yeah. Yeah. He was a member of the coroner's jury that basically said that the fire was accidental. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so that was weird. <laughs> he also heard from the fire chief Morris that he found a heart in the ashes, and then hid it inside a dynamite box and buried it at the scene. Wait, he found a what? A heart. A human heart? Yes. Right. Which is weird, because why would you find a heart if you can't even find bones? You know? That's like some weird sacrifice thing, like, you do some collie mob, pull the heart out, and then you just burn everything else. That's weird. Yeah, and so he said he buried it at the scene, 
Why didn't and... he say that to anyone else? Like, I, if I saw a human heart after, like, lying over here with, like, a burned house, I'd just be like, yo, guys, you gotta, like, you gotta There's look at this you gotta, you gotta check this out. Someone write a song about it. Like, <laughs> please. Um, and so basically they dug up the box, and they took it directly to the funeral director, and they found out that the heart that he had supposedly buried was actually just beef liver, and it had been untouched by fire. So he's a liar. The chief is a liar. He's also bad at his job because he was seven hours late to the crime scene, so or to the fire. And so the chief basically said that he did this to give the family closure, air quotes around that, so that the family would stop the investigation. That's not how you give someone closure. Exactly. Do you like, say traumatize you find, them? You find their kids yeah. and give them closure like that. So that was weird because he also like kind of like wanted to stop the investigation, which makes it a little sus. You know, it's like a little weird. Like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Plus, you're not a policeman. You're literally a firefighter. Okay. So then George, like a couple years later, he literally drove all the way to New York City because he saw a photo of school children in a newspaper one time, and he was convinced that it was his daughter, Betty. And so he literally drove all the way to New York City to try to, like, be like, hey, you're my daughter. You, you need to come with me. Like, you're my own, like, flesh and blood. But when he got there, the family of the child refused to let him speak to her. Because it is strange. Like, you're a stranger. You're from a different, you know, from a different place. We don't even know you. It's weird. And so they said no. And so he had to drive back down to his home. And so he never, like, found out if that was Betty or not. And then in August of 1949, they hired a pathologist. His name was Oscar B. Hunter. And he basically dug up all the dirt that, you know, George had put up on top of his house. And he found a couple of interesting things. Oh, really? Huh? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, he found damaged coins, a partly burnt dictionary. Yeah. And then he also found four shards of human vertebrae. Wait. I thought they said that, like, there were no bones. Right. So they sent those, those pieces of human vertebrae over to the Smithsonian, and they concluded that the that those bones that they found were from a boy, and one of the boys, like, I think they had two boys in the fire, mm. um, that was, they say that he aged around to be 16 or 17 years old when he died, which is, doesn't make sense, because the oldest missing chatter, solder child, chatter, <laughs> was 14 <laughs> years old, so obviously it didn't belong to him, because there's nowhere near the correlation. There was also no evidence in the bones that they had been exposed to fire, so that was also a little weird. So they said that the bones most likely came from the dirt that George used to pile on. So they were probably just, like, from a completely different, like, case. Mind you, this was before, like, DNA testing was a thing. So they couldn't even, like, run, like, a DNA test to see if they were actually his children. Mm -hmm. You know, if they belonged to him. And so, not knowing that, you know, this would become a thing because it's olden days, they gave the bones back to Dad. And so now nobody knows where the bones are. Because literally they just gave them back to the dad and now the bones are just lost somewhere. Eventually, the governor at the time actually stepped into the case, had a hearing, and he declared the case as closed because he said that the searching for the kids was, quote, hopeless, saying that they basically wouldn't find the kids and that they needed to stop. That's really mean. I know. And it's none of your business. They're not your kids. Yeah. So, Jenny and George eventually ended up putting up a billboard along Route 16 and it's, like, creepy billboard, and it was up for years, like, 40 years that billboard was up. And it was basically saying, like, we have a money reward for any information about the kids. 
We just want to go in there and basically do stuff like that. I'll show you a picture later. It's really creepy. Oh, yeah, definitely. They even passed out flyers, and they offered $5,000 for any information that they had on the kids. And, like, that's a lot of money. Like, now I don't know what that translates to nowadays. I should have looked that up, but I didn't. <laughs> um, and so some tips actually came in from mm-hmm. kind of, like, all over the place. There was one from St. Louis, Texas, and Florida. And basically, George drove to all those places to try and see what happened, and he ended up coming empty-handed, and so he had to just defeatedly drive back home and came back with nothing, so that's kind of sad. So this other thing happened. 1968, so it's been, like, a long time since the fire happened. Jenny, the mom, she got an envelope in the mail that was addressed only to her, not, like, the family or anything. It had a postmark from Kentucky with no return address. That's a little weird, too, because I don't think they knew anybody in Kentucky. Inside, there was a photo of a man in his mid-twenties, and on the back it said, Louis Sauter, I love Brother Frankie, little boys, A90132 or 35. That was it. And so the family, like, actually believed that it was Louis, who was nine at the time of the fire. Um, they said that he had similar features, like... The dark curly hair was the same, the same straight nose, the dark brown eyes. They said that he even had, like, the same uptilt on the left eyebrow, which was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they hired another private investigator and sent him to Kentucky, only they never heard from him again. Wait, the private investigator, they never heard of him? No. So he literally just took their money and left. Oh, I was expecting he was just dead, but... No. No, he's just a scam artist. Okay. Yeah, he was basically just... You know, <laughs> so then george eventually like you know they were doing interviews george said in an interview quote time is running out for us but we only want to know if they did die in the fire we want to be convinced otherwise we want to know what happened to them so he was saying time was running out he was old yeah he died a year later so he never even like knew or like was anywhere near knowing what happened to his kids jenny also she, an uh, interesting thing about her was that ever since the fire, she just only wore black. And, you know, black is, like, a sign of mourning when you go to funerals and stuff like that. And she literally only wore black for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And so she ended up passing up uh, a year after George did. So they both passed away. She died in 1989. So this was, like, a long time after the fires. And so they never got any closure. The billboard eventually came down, and the remaining children and grandchildren, because, you know, the kids move on they kept searching and they even like some made up their own theories about what happened there was one theory that said that the local mafia tried to recruit george and he declined so that started like a couple like tensions there was another theory that he was being tried to people tried to extort money from him and he also refused so that also caused some drama there was a theory that the kids made up that said that they were basically kidnapped by somebody that they knew so they said that the person came into the house, which would explain why the door was unlocked, and said, hey, kids, there's a fire. Come with me. I'll take you to safety. And then that's when they got in the car and they were driven off. So that would explain why the woman saw the kids passing by in her car. The kids believe that if they did survive this whole time, they had just they just didn't contact their parents out of their own safety, the kids and their parents, because they're just, you know, the family. And so this is actually kind of sad, too. It, this is, like, the end. So the last surviving Sauter child, her name's Sylvia, when this was happening, she was only two. So she's around, like, 76 or 77 today, 
And she's convinced that her siblings did not die in the fire. Like, she's, like, convinced that they were, like, not there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's still hoping that she gets the truth about what happened in the fire. But she just wants to know before she passes away because she's never going to get her closure. And so they still don't know what happened. Basically, nobody knows. Like, all the sightings, all the theories and everything that, like, everything weird that happened in this case, basically nobody has, like, any ties to it. Yeah. So it's never, it's just unsolved. I think nowadays, like, with 23andMe, I think that's what it's called, I wonder if, like, if those kids, like, did run away or something like that and they actually had children, there's, like, any way to connect them now. Because, like, they can get um, the older woman's DNA and then, like, see... Like somewhere else where she yeah. went. Yeah. Yeah, but basically she just doesn't know and wants to know what happened on Christmas Eve like 75 years ago. That's so sad. I know. And that's that's the end. That's the whole case. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> basically nobody got closure and it's still unsolved. Because even if even if like they do get DNA and stuff like that, yeah. like the child vertebrae that they found in the dirt, like they don't have a way to check that because they don't even know where that stuff is. Nobody knows where it is. And George passed away, so it's not like he can, like, come and tell us, like, oh, here you go, test it out now. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way of knowing what happened. Because nobody knows. It's weird. It's crazy. Everything that could possibly go wrong in this went completely wrong. And that's why it's, like, one of my favorites, because it's just, like, how can you mess everything up like this? You know? Like, the ladder, and then the cars. And then the water. And then the fire department getting there seven hours after the fire. Like, are you kidding me? Seven hours? They were only two miles away. Yeah. What? What? It doesn't make sense. I don't know, man. I don't know either. Like, I'm trying to, like... Like, (laughs) I I know I'm not going to solve the case, but I'm, like, trying to put it together. I'm like, oh my god, that's really weird. And then that's really weird. This is... And who called? And, like... Where did the ladder go? That's, like, one of the main questions I have. Like, the ladder wasn't on the house anymore. Yeah. Where'd it go? Nobody knows. And apparently George always kept that ladder there. Like, it had always been there. Always. Do you, like, I know with some cases, like, it always just goes to the parents killing the child, like, for, like, life insurance policy, but he denied getting a life insurance policy yeah i don't from think, like that seller guy like yeah there's no way the parent i don't think the parents had any involvement in it mainly because of how involved they were after the fact that's a good point you know yeah. like george literally drove all over the united states to try and get you know leads on like the tips that he got and he ended up with nothing yeah and that's sad and he passed away not knowing what happened same with jenny like that's sad it's like what yeah. So that's Happy one of my favorite cases. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my sources for this case was Smithsonian uh, Magazine and also Mirror Magazine uh, from the UK. Alright, so that case was actually really good. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Good, I'm glad you haven't. And it's just very seasonal appropriate. I didn't even watch that one. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> could look at my Christmas tree and be like, oh, thank goodness our place is not on fire right now. Uh, Ooh, Speaking of fires, my apartment almost caught on fire one time in December. Wait, really? Yeah. I did not know this. Tell me more. <laughs> it was like a long time ago. Um, all I remember was that I was sleeping and my mom like tried to, I'm a really heavy sleeper. I don't know if you knew that or not. No, I didn't. Me. I'm a really fucking heavy sleeper. And so, um, 
my mom basically like picked my sister and me up or I think my dad might have picked her or something like that I can't remember but I remember like my mom was like she like walked us down the stairs because we lived on we lived basically where our apartment was placed at we were right on top of the laundry room and the dryer was on fire and so my mom was like freaking out full panic mom mode like superheroes and stuff um, and so she picked my sister and I up and she put us in her car, like in the trunk of her car. And all I remember from that day was that I woke up in the trunk of the car, like the windows were open, we were covered in blankets and we had jackets on and everything because it was like kind of cold outside. Hmm. And I remember talking to this firefighter and he was like, what are you doing? Are you sleeping in there? And I was like, yeah. And then he like fixed everything and then we went back into the apartment and everything was fine. So you know that podcast, My Favorite Murder, that I like never shut up to you about? <laughs> so... One of the main um, women of it is Karen Kilgariff. Her father is, like, a retired um, firefighter. She'll bring it up throughout the series and be like, change your filter. <laughs> like, change your yeah, filter. Because yeah. that's one of the major leads of, like, house fires is, yeah. like, the dryer. Yeah. Where was her dad when you guys <laughs> When I needed him the most. No, the firefighters were chill and everything was fine. Like, I think they put it out or everything. Or at least I think that either the dryer was on fire or the dryer was smoking which caused my mom to, like, panic, and, like, she, I think she called the police or something like that, I can't remember. That was was smart. Yeah. It was, the apartments were in a bad place anyways, and so it was just, you know, it's fine. Just, just go. Just. We're not there anymore, it's fine. No fires. No fires. No fires. I survived that one. (laughs) Say no to fires. (laughs) (laughs) Only you can prevent forest fires. In your laundry room. (laughs) Dryer fires. (laughs) Dryer fires in your laundry room. Yeah. Um, Good times. So, are you ready for my case? Yes, I am. Okay. So, I think I already told you that I kind of did fast, so it's it's our first one, so I'm not super worried. No. Nope. Uh, so, my sources for this one is going to be MSN, Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, National Geographic, and Express.co.ku. Mm-hmm. Sorry, UK. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I chose Paranormal. Okay. And it's actually going to be a cryptid story. What? So cryptid is just a term um, that means like animals whose existence isn't substantiated. So it's like, like um, Mothman is a cryptid or like Bigfoot is a cryptid. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so I would like to mention a lot of my cases um, were actually recently posted like this September. Oh. So I've. It feels pretty fresh. Yeah, that's my birth month. I don't like that. Hello, fresh. Please. Hello, fresh. Hello. So my case is um, based off the deadly landform dubbed Organism 46B. Oh, I've never heard of them. Yeah, that's it. When I started seeing it online, I was just like, I, I know Bigfoot. Everyone knows that one. Everybody knows Bigfoot. Like, future husband. You know, whatever. (laughs) Um, but never this one. So I definitely had to choose it for my case. Right. But. I'll start from the beginning. Okay. Um, So Antarctica has been one of the greatest locations for scientific disciplines for many years, from astronomy to environmental science, because it can offer a location for research that cannot be usually conducted elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's great about it as well is that due to its isolation and harsh conditions, there's been a lot of further interest on exploring it. One such project has been to explore Antarctica's largest subglacial lakes. Antarctica, just so you know, actually has 145 of these. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and the largest one that they have is pronounced 
Boshika. Okay. Ooh, let me go ahead and look this up again. One second. <laughs> let me, let's go back. Let's go to Google. <laughs> let's look it up one more time. Um, so the lake's actually called Lake Vashtok. Oh, okay. Yep, it's the sister um, app to TikTok. Um, it's not. So it was actually subsequently named after Vashtok Station, a Russian research station. Um which was established by Soviets in 1957. It was a long time it, ago. Huh? 1957 was a long time ago. Like two years ago, guys. It oh. Was, it was a year after I was born. 1957? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm actually, like... You look good for your age. Thank you. I try. Yeah. I use, like, this moisturizer. Ooh, yes. I'm not doing that. I will. I'll send you the link. I'm just ready to feel... Rejuvenated. Rejuvenated. Not human blood this time. Like, oh. No. Just in the ingredients. It's, I can do it. It's fine. You can't smell it. I can move on. Okay, you got this. Do it. (laughs) 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 So it was established by um, Soviets in 1957, so like two years ago. The lake was actually discovered underneath it um, in 1974, so way after the station was established. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Long time. No kidding. Meg. Four years now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love you. (laughs) All right. So the exploration was supposed to be like go into the water, kind of figure out like how things are going on down there. Mm -hmm. Um, because thing that they're trying to figure out is been entombed in ice between fifteen to thirty-four million years. That's a lot of years. Yeah, (laughs) at least five. (laughs) At least five, if not seven. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. You like jazz? A little bit. I like jazz. I like it. The subglacial lakes exploration could open a new window by offering new insight into not only climate history, but also revealing previously unknown life forms. Mm-hmm. So, I know I'm going to butcher his name, like everything else here with pronunciation. Fine. English isn't my first language. I butcher a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> John, like, Prescu. I think is what I wrote. Um, a Montana state ecologist reported to National Geographic News back in 2007 that on one of the expeditions of one of the smaller subglacial lake, um, they've actually found evidence of microbes that could get its energy by eating rocks. Rocks? Yes. Rocks. Yes. Like solid rocks. Yes. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. And so since, like, 2007, like, they've posted more information on that micro. 2007? Yeah. That's not that long ago. No, it's not. Whoa. That's trippy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, like, on one of their past expeditions, like, they found that. And so, like, that was something that, like, they hadn't seen ever since then. I haven't heard about that. Yeah. Whoa. Give it the times. I'm sorry. (laughs) Mentally, it was still in, like, the 1950s. No. No, I'm not. No. I don't even know what it was back in the 50s. <laughs> I don't know anyone back then. Listen, I was born in 1999. I don't know anything. You're old baby. I'm, I'm tiny. You know? I'm small. I'm like a grain of rice. You're yummy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Debbie Ryan said. Can't make good sushi without you. <gasps> oh, my gosh, she's so good. Oh, please. Don't. I know. You're going to make me act It's up. too much. It's too much. I'm too much. It's fine. No, it's fine. Um. (laughs) So, 
back to the big project that they've been working on. Right. Uh, so because of lack of technological advancements and um, they were also trying to prevent water contamination, um, in early February of 2012, the expedition finally succeeded after 30 years. Whoa. Yeah, they finally drilling through more than two miles of ice they were able to like finally gain access to like what was underneath it okay like under all the ice. yeah they took their time yeah no kidding yeah 30 years <laughs> is a long time yeah so it's like i know and it makes sense because like you don't want to contaminate the water because it ruins Everything. like whatever you bring in maybe it's going to kill like any of the microbes they have and it's just like all for naught right yeah, yeah. Basically useless. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't do that. No, I, I Don't won't. recommend. Trust me, I won't. <laughs> so this is potentially a great advancement in scientific community after the listed um, discovery I already told you about and time-consuming effort. They were excited to see how life might have evolved once again in this extreme environment. Mm-hmm. Eight-member team actually entered the link, but they were not heard from for a period of five yeah. In the lake? Yeah. That's like frozen. Yes. In Antarctica. Five days. Where no one re- else really is at. That's a, yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. In the cold. Yeah, no, that's even worse. Yeah. There's I not even a close Chipotle. Like, what? There's not even a close Chipotle. Like, oh, man. You can't, there's worse. nothing there. Not even like a hot cup of coffee. Yeah, that's not there. Damn. Yeah. What? All right. That's a full business week, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's how long it takes to, like, get an email back from, like, somebody important. Or somebody professors. I don't know. I'm really upset about emailing professors. Yeah. That's a different segment. I'm still upset. (laughs) That's a different segment. Now we're really getting to the story. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Anton, um, another name I'm going to mispronounce, um, I wrote Fidelta. No, that's not right, but we're going to keep going with it. Right. Dr. Anton... Delta, a defecting Russian scientist, told Switzerland authorities what really happened during the expedition under 12,000 feet under the Antarctic ice. That's cold. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even begin to imagine how cold that stuff is. Like, a lot of the scientists will go up to the Antarctic, like, for, um, for, like, climate science yeah. um and they'll like cut into the ice and like when they pull it out isn't it like circle well like circles oh my god <laughs> i'm like making it's, a mess it's yeah like they have like the different like lines in it yeah. i'm not an expert in this this is not my type of science that i do like at all <laughs> but i think i remember this yeah not, not this case but like the thing where they like scoop out ice mm-hmm. and you can see like with different temperatures and stuff like that yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Entirely. So there's just, like, a lot of ice. Yeah. A lot of nowhere. A lot of nowhere. A lot of ice. And so, so I'm just going to call him Dr. Anton for the rest of the podcast. That's fine. And you're going to be fine with it. Cool. I am fine with it. Thank you. I love coming. So Dr. Anton claims that he was a part of the Russian scientific expedition to the Subterranean Lake in the Antarctic that discovered a terrifying creature called... Forty-six feet. So this is where, like, 
like yeah it starts getting really real and this is where like i just basically copy and paste stuff because <laughs> it's a lot of it is um him just Talking. telling you exactly what happened Ooh. so get ready for the copy pasting journey that we're about to go through together Fine. so he said that their discovery at the lake was covered up by russian officials who are now looking at ways to weaponize and breed the organism breed mm-hmm. what why would you want to do that uh that's sick though because of everything that they went through they they wanted to weaponize it okay so they said let's take this horrible thing that we experienced yeah and then just make it into a weapon it's it's like putting a laser on a shark or like a chainsaw on a shark like the shark's already terrifying mm-hmm. you're already gonna die if it, if it if it gets you yeah but now chainsaw make it like worse yes Jesus. yeah why these little weird men can it, i don't know man yeah they're mean yeah they're rude so what this organism actually is is a deadly octopus. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting that. Yeah. In the ice? In the water. Okay. Underneath the ice. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yes. I'm following now. I'm a weaver of words. Gotcha. I'm now painting a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor said that the octopus, which was discovered in the freshwater lake trapped beneath two miles of ice, possessed an array of weapons which was responsible for the deaths of at least two of his scientific hogly- colleagues and in this. Two out of the five? How many was two one? out of the eight. Oh, eight. Yes. Oh, wow, that's a lot more than two, At least two out of the eight. Right. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, nope. Andrea, I looked at my notes. Okay, three. So at least it was two. It's three. At least two. Got it. So more quoting. So giving details, which sounded like a script from a B-rated horror film, um, he said that we encountered the organism 46B on our first date, and it disabled the radio, which we later learned to our alarm was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it scoped out this radio, which is like, this is mine. It is also able to paralyze prey from a distance up to 150 feet by releasing its venom into the water. Tragically, I podcast, but like I'm just gonna describe the fact that my mouth is open in shock because what the heck? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. That sounds so terrifying. Just like you're just swimming and just like you get like that would never swim in the Antarctica. Maybe. On my top ten bucket list, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go ahead and take Antarctica swimming right off. <laughs> like, no thanks. No, absolutely not. Um. So it goes on and it's just tragically, my colleague and lifelong friend was killed in this way. He was treading in water, wearing a blissful smile as the organism approached him. We watched helplessly as it used its arms to tear off his head and then pop the remains into its mouth. It was as if he was hypnotizing him telepathically. This dude, this octopus was just, you know, let me get some popcorn real quick. Oh, like that? Yeah. What? Like, he just, he just ate him. Like, 
Yeah. No words. And the 33-foot-long man-eater also boasted extraordinary camouflage that helped it stalk the researchers, including, apparently, shape-shifting. <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> what? So he went on to say that the shape, like, shape-shifting capabilities of this organism sounded almost diabolical. It shaped itself into the form of human diver. No. So... I can't remember what the name of this kind of sea creature is, and, like, I know I'm going to remember as soon as we're done recording, but <laughs> there's there's a lot of, like, sea creatures that actually can do stuff like that, where, like, um, it can just change its body to, like, look di- like different colors, it can go rainbow to, like, hypnotize, or, like, like there's definitely octopus that can, like, yeah. change it into, like, yeah. they, like, look like a rock, or they can look like coral. Yeah, that's and what I was been thinking about. I was like, there's this one octopus clip that I saw, like, a long time ago, where he, like, basically made himself look like the sand, and then attacked the fish to get food. Mm-hmm. That's basically what this dude was doing. Yeah. And, like, what also kind of goes with it is, like, if you've ever seen, like, any kind of diver, like, they're usually just wearing something black or, like, s- some slick-colored stuff. Mm-hmm. In a way, it really wouldn't be hard to imitate that. Mm-mm. Like, at all. It's like a solid color. You could easily do that. Yeah. What? That's crazy. So he goes on to say that we thought that it was one of our colleagues swimming up towards us in scuba gear. And by the time that the closest scientist realized what it was, it had grabbed him and torn him into bits. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. That's really sad. Whoa. Um. He revealed that the octopus could also be, like, use its tentacles to kill even after it had been, like, like, hacked off. (gasps) So, like, they'll detach one of the arms from the octopuses and it'll still move. And, like... Well, you know, octopus, like, in real life do that, like, squid does that. Hmm? Squid. Like, squid. Like, you know how we eat... Have you ever, like, have you ever ate octopus? Yeah. Yeah. Like, when it's, like, freshly cut in front of you, the limbs, like, still move around and everything. You didn't know that? It's creepy. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. It's weird, because, like, there was a video I watched a long time ago, and they were, like, trying, like, to eat raw octopus like that, and the Mm -hmm. chef literally cut the tentacles off in front of them, and they were still moving. And you had to eat it, like, when you eat fresh, when you you eat it fresh like that, you literally have to chew so thoroughly so it it doesn't suction on your neck and crawl back up and, like, kill you. Yeah. I, you know... I, I feel could. like you could have gone without knowing that. That's crazy. I was hungry, and now I'm not anymore. <laughs> You're welcome. Food credits to me. <laughs> no seafood for, like, seven years. <laughs> I don't think I could. Um, it's only fresh octopus that does that, though. Like, any other, like, dead seafood animal doesn't do that. I promise. You swear? I swear. I'm holding you to it. I, you can hold me to it. I promise. It's always true. So the doctor claimed um, that another one of his colleagues was actually killed by a tentacle many hours after they had sliced um, the tentacle off the creature with an axe. Dang. Yeah. <gasps> That's scary. He said that later that night, it slithered across the ice bank and strangled her to death. Ooh. Yeah. It's like, just leave me alone, dude. <laughs> okay, it's one thing for snakes to slither, but like a whole like octopus limb... That's, like, different. 
No. Absolutely not. And it's, like, detached, like... Yeah, absolutely not. That shouldn't even be a thing. No. (laughs) They said that after five days of battling with the animal, the remaining scientists finally were able to trap the organism into a tank. When they were able to bring it to the surface, they were shocked that it was actually seized by Russian officials who told the waiting international press that nothing happened. Oh, great. Yeah. So it's all covered up. Yeah. Great. The doctor fled the country after allegedly discovering that the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, um, had plans to weaponize organism 46B. The Russian government has denied all knowledge of these claims. The doctor went on to warn that, like, these plans and any possible plans to breed more of the creatures could, like, prove devastating. He said that some species of octopus lay up to, like, 200,000 eggs. Whoa. Uh, So imagine if they were deposited in reservoirs, like, and lakes across North America. Yeah. Not good. No. Whoa. That's a lot of kids you gotta take care of. That's... <laughs> I have to pay for all those kids? College is gonna be so expensive. It's like, imagine you only wanted one and you just end up with, like, thousands of kids. Again. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Yeah. And so, like, I know it's encrypted, and that's always gonna be one of those things that people are gonna always be like, you can't prove it, and blah, blah, blah. You can't deny that stuff has always been, like, one way or another, things have become classified, and, like, with common issues with, like, Russia right now, and it wouldn't be surprising if, like, the KGB or whatever, like, silenced them. yeah, we just found out aliens are in Italy, too. Like, it was confirmed. Wait, where? Like, early this year. And then there was, I think, also, like, I think it was, like, confirmed that they can, like, travel through time. Oh, yeah, no, they they solved, the, like, the paradox thing that, like, yeah. time corrects itself. Yeah. So it's like, I wouldn't be surprised, actually. That's crazy. Yeah. So. I'm just. It's 2020. Anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it's 2020. New Year's coming up. It's fine. I just want the year to be over. Girl, you and me both. Ugh. Oh, okay. So we probably should have messed, like mentioned somewhere in the podcast like preferably in the beginning of the podcast that andre and i both work for a laboratory yes we do um i work in a forensics toxicology lab i'm a little baby scientist so don't ask me any questions i really don't want to i don't you don't want me (laughs) i don't even classify as a scientist i just stamp you just stamp but you're it's fine you're a recent like i'm there but i have a I work in an office. My name's Andrea. I am the office lady. You're great. I'm really not. You're great. I just, I'm just there. You know? I like it. Stamping. Huh? Stamping. Stamping. Doing that paperwork. Always. Every nine day. to five. Nine, it's ten to six. Oh, my God. Nine Get to it five. right. So since you actually started working with the company, I wanted to wait until, like, our first episode to tell you some of the crazy stuff that happened um excuse in me? the lab yeah excuse me yeah what so there are different departments um in the company that we work for 
And I'm not going to do any actual names because Good. it's Somebody nobody needs to know where we work. No <laughs> yeah. one cares. Um, plus, don't. So we have a department of receiving where we just get tons of samples from, like, tons of places all over the world or whatever. Right. And we take them in. We sort them, and then it goes to different departments to be tested, and then blah, 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 and goes down the chain of command. So this company has been around for a very long time, and one of my coworkers who's, like, like oversees the opening department, um, receiving department, she's been working for the company, I believe, for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. So she's seen it all. Yeah. And opening just by default sucks like you get anything between like urine to blood it's not doesn't smell great it's not great but when you receive so many different packages from all over you just get crazy things that aren't supposed to go to you my personal experience i actually received a thing from wish what some person ordered something from wish it was like a one of those like really nice like icing like tools so like like, you can make the flowers Uh and I really wanted it I wanted to keep it I was like I already have to open and deal with all these things like this isn't my department whatever I want to keep it but apparently I wasn't allowed to I mean it makes sense whatever I want to be a bad person I just want free stuff okay yeah I hope that thank you you're welcome I'm going to call this lady, Nicole. Okay. So Nicole's worked there for a very long time. And um, I was talking to her, and I was just like, oh, you know, I, I got this weird cake thing. Like, I bet you've never talked to that or, like, one way or another. She's like, you know, we've, we've gotten, like, adult toys before <gasps> and, you know, things that, like, should never come to us. And I'm like, adult toys – coming to a toxicology lab is really weird and shouldn't come to us but what do you mean she's like oh yeah we've we've received like body parts before what yeah stop yeah stop (laughs) i'm just like no 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 no. you can't tell me like body parts and not tell me more so she told me that like i think it was like six years ago she's opening and this girl, like, across the way is, like, opening package after package after package. And she just screams. So Nicole, like, looks and she's like, wait, 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 are you okay? What's going on? She's like, and this girl is just like, you have to come look, you have to come look. And Nicole's just like, I'm not coming over there unless you tell me, like, what it is. What it is. And this girl tells her and Nicole just like, I don't believe you goes over and there it is in a box is a human severed arm no yeah no like and Freak, like no. there's like a no. ton of like one of those little ice packs with it and stuff like that yeah they received a human severed arm no no no, no. i don't like that at all because i watch a lot of criminal minds right now and so like that's like really bad mm-hmm. what yeah so i actually had to look this up later too and i was just like i was thinking to myself maybe it's supposed to go to like a morgue or something right but when i looked it up at least for some of the states that i looked at you can't send something to a morgue unless like it's like the body like you need a death certificate yeah i was gonna say it's like the body has to be a pet yeah you gotta 
you gotta like, have one way or another it's gotta be with it be like <laughs> something but i think it was supposed to go somewhere to like like a medical testing center but we don't do that yeah. like with forensic toxicology like our company or at least the building i work at um we only do like oral swabs blood um and urine like we don't we don't do that that's no, not at all us. yeah and so i'm just like so what did you do with this like this severed arm that's like laying on this table <laughs> she's like what do you do with it she's like do you get to take it home she's like no we just called the shipping company and the guy just came back and picked it up and like that's it you didn't call the cops like i just literally just came in and was like oh sorry it's not supposed to be here and let me take it yeah like just so just, casual yeah what yeah so i'm gonna throw up so obviously knowing me like outside the podcast like i told everyone it's like oh my god you're never gonna believe like what i just fucking heard this is the greatest fucking thing i hate i can't go out to the bar and talk about this crazy thing that happened to work so i'm gonna tell every single co-worker i've ever interacted with and they're like oh yeah we know yeah they're like what no 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 no, i'm sorry no they didn't know okay good no no i got too excited and agreed no until one girl she's like i didn't know that I thought you were going to tell me something else that we received two years ago. And I'm like, excuse me? So this girl... Stop. Who? Did you say it's like a head or something worse? I'm going to fucking scream. Stop. Did I just guess that? Sydney, stop. Did I just guess that? No way. You're super close. Like an eye? No way. No. Yes. No. Yes. This girl, this poor supervisor, who I cannot even come up with a fake name because I don't, I want to tell the story. She opened up a box and there was in a jar, like, I think covered in gel, she said, like, two human eyes with, like, the veins sticking out of it. Yeah. I'm going to throw up. Like, my eyes are getting watery. That is so gross. Yeah. It's di- okay. It's different when you watch TV shows because that's also happened in Criminal Minds. <laughs> Sorry, I keep bringing Criminal Minds up, but like, it's different when you see it on a TV show because like obviously you know that sometimes humans can go that far, and obviously like our podcast and what we're gonna talk about will show some of those extremes. Yeah. Eventually, um, it's different when you like hear about it, and like we're close. That's our job. What? Hmm. Yeah. Like a pair of like both of them for me? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Like that. That's so creepy. Yeah. Can we tell you what? What? Can we tell you what color they were? No. Yeah. Blue. No, that's my thought too, but. They were brown? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. I don't like that. I have brown eyes. I'm next. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wish they were your eyes. Sydney. No! <laughs> my eyes are already bad enough. Give me some Jeepers Creepers moments. Oh, like that's so gross. Yeah. I literally would not know how to react at all. Yeah. Huh? And I really thought that, like, the worst case that would, like, I would ever come across, like, opening. Because, like, we have to open so many packages so quickly to, like. Get it going. Get, yeah, get it yeah. going. Um, I was worried that, like, the two things I would deal with would be, like, a sample falling on me like urine or blood and be like Bleh. um or me just cutting myself with like 
the knife. And, like, that's happened a couple times to the other coworkers. But I'm kind of, like, after telling a couple of my coworkers who turn out are also really into true crime. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you later. Um, <laughs> the only thing that's making working morning shifts bearable, like, doing opening, is making fun of, like, oh, maybe we're going to get the next really good package. Oh, my God. Yeah. Y'all are sick. Yeah. Ugh. I know. That and, like, talking about shows we've seen. No, I would be freaked. I would say, please do not ever make me do this again. I keep telling you not to do it. I like, don't think they're ever going to make me do it because I work so late in the morning. Like, I literally go in at 10 in the morning. That's late. Other of your coworkers do do it, though. I know. I've seen a couple of them do it, but they're also there at, like, 6 in the morning. So yeah. It's kind of late. But okay. It's not. Fun? No. No, it's not fun. But I remember at my other job, I used to have to, like, open boxes for, like, eight hours straight. It's not the same thing, but it's also kind of like the same thing. Not really. No. We would never get... It's not the same thing. ...arms or human eyes. What the freak? You also... If you opened up a package at your last job, you wouldn't have to worry about urine all over you. Yeah, that's true. That's smelly. That's... My biggest fear right now is every time I have to go in to pick up the paperwork is that someone's going to just turn around so fast and just spill everything on me and I'm going to have a mental breakdown right there and there. I'm just going to be on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just put you under the chemical showers that we have. Listen, I live kind of far from jobs, so it's going to be a trip and a half trying to get different clothes. If that ever does happen. Let's pray to God that it ever happens. Mommy, come pick me up. They put urine on me. You're just like a really fucked up, fucked up version of Carrie on Prom Night. Like, oh my god. You're like, I fucking wish it was blood. <laughs> I'm just going your I would much rather have, like, blood spilled on me instead of urine. Yeah. Because I know how to deal with blood. I'm a woman. I mean. We know how to deal with it. I mean, like, no, no, I agree with it, but like. I know how to handle my own urine. Yeah. We all urinate. But after opening and, like, so I, I took care of kids for, like, forever. Uh-huh. Like, nannied and blah, blah, blah. It's gross. I love you children, but, like, it's gross. <laughs> but o- after opening, I just, yeah. just pour the blood on me. Just don't. No I urine. That, I think I would much rather deal with blood because it's visible. Sometimes when your urine dries up, yeah. like it's, it just, it's like a wet spot, mm-hmm. you know? I you know it. what needs to be changed. Exactly. And people can't see it on you, so they're kind of just like, what the fuck? Oh, I didn't mean to say. Oh. oh, we've been cursing the whole time, it's fine. I've been trying to block it out, because I feel like my mom's going to listen to this. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways. But like, I don't know. What was I going to say? I don't know either, but that's creepy. Yeah. 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 Eyes? Yeah. Ugh. That's a lot of information. And that's, like, the only thing that, like, so, like, those two things I told you are the only ones that that I have heard of. Yeah. Like, Nicole, who's been there for, like, 12-something years, she didn't even know about the eyeball thing. Who knows what we have received, and, like, this also goes to, like, if ever we get listeners, which, I love you if you're listening, thanks for putting up with this, but, like, (laughs) I would love to know what 
other people have received yeah. from like not, like not even like laboratories like anything i would love to know what they received because like it's it's crazy it's crazy there's like millions of possibilities out there yes for sure and like i know we keep talking about covid it's so in right now but like <laughs> so many packages at least for this time of december are like record high like so it makes sense that like we get lots of really weird things like because we get so many things coming up to us so i just some people are gonna get some weird gifts for christmas this year yeah no kidding or like hanukkah kwanzaa i think hanukkah is coming up i might i might ask we should look Happy Hanukkah, happy belated Hanukkah, happy whatever holidays you guys celebrate. That's crazy. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Like, I do, but not, like, in, like, oh, it's so quirky, it makes me funny. <laughs> like, no, that's really unsettling, and that's really uncomfortable. You just, you just, like, go out to pick up your gift, because um, you're like, oh my gosh, this is my mom's gift. I'm so excited to give it to her and wrap it up and, like, no. you open up the package it's a fucking head. Dude, my sister just ordered shoes. And she gets a fucking head. No! What's she? Ooh, What's in the, the box? box? Like, that's oh. like That was, okay, so that was the other thing that we kept joking about. And by other people, I mean me, and then they laughed. <laughs> what are you talking about? Was that, like... My idea would be is to get like a human body oh and like God. cut into pieces, oh and then God. every single time we like get that body piece, we put it on the no. board. So it's kind of like a funny hangman or like all you the states you visited into. You just like scratch off, you're like, oh, there's in Montana. Like we finally oh went God. to it until you get like the whole United States, and then you get the whole body from all the things you received. Oh my God. Oh. Right no. now, right now, we have an arm and a Oh my god, just like 20 different body pieces. That's nice. More than 20 different body pieces. Ooh. No, don't get excited about that. <laughs> Do we get a matching arm? What if you get two left arms? <laughs> That's sick. I'm sorry. I support you. I didn't mean to laugh. Oh, what I was saying was really messed up. Now you're good. Okay. Damn. Yeah. I don't think I want to go to work on Tuesday. Nope, you're still going to have to. <laughs> No. Yeah, but I've been holding that story in for, like, the past three months and then waiting until, like, we actually did the podcast. Oh, my God, I'm so – it's weird that you, like, actually, like, kept it in because you're usually, like, just, like, here's what I found out. <laughs> so fast. <laughs> I can't shut up. Be like, oh, my God, wait. Let me please tell you. Like, no. I had – it was so good, and I really wanted to say it on the podcast. That's crazy. Because, like – I mean, I'm gonna throw up when I get home. That's sick. You're welcome. Thank you for the nightmare fuel. You're so welcome. Thanks. Oh. I like how we started talking from octopuses to just our jobs. <laughs> I know I wanted to mention it at some point. Good. I'm I glad wanted you did. to say it in the beginning and be like, Hi, my name is Sydney, and I work in Friends of Toxicology. But I didn't want to, like, immediately come off and be like, Hi, I'm fucking cool, and... <laughs> but don't ask me questions about it. I'm still going to college. <laughs> I don't know yet. Please Google. You, you do what you do. Ask Hank Green. Please don't ask me. <laughs> oh, God, that's so weird. 
feel like you leo said like that's so weird yeah whoa yeah okay so i think our first episode did pretty okay i think we both had good stories yeah i like your story a lot i think we're gonna do a lot more for the second one like the second recording you want to do like another microphone i just fucked up with the microphone (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think like our next recording i think we can really okay we also didn't specify this at the beginning um are we still doing that trading off thing? Like yes. Okay, cool. So, so that's the thing that we're going to do with the podcast is we're going to switch it up every episode. So I did True Crime Today. Sydney did Paranormal slash, you know. So next episode, I'll do a Paranormal story and you'll do a, a True Crime story, which I cannot wait to see what you picked out already. I already know what I'm going to do. Oh, I already know what I'm going to do. Oh, it's a murder. <gasps> that sounds creepy. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, freak out of is everything it? I no, it's fine. We're not like we're not the only murder creepy podcast out there. There's plenty of people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the concept of the podcast. We're gonna be trading off topics every every single episode. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. Is um speaking of podcasts, are there any podcasts you're listening to right now? The only one I listen to. And that's why we drink. God I love them. Damn do I love them. I love M so much. I love M. I love Christine. I love Eva. She's great, too. She never talks on the podcast, but I just know that I would vibe with her. She's a Pisces. Is she really? Yes. Who do you want to give a shout-out to? Right now, I'm definitely seriously listening to Wine and Crime. Mm-hmm. Um, we were supposed to see them live. Yeah, we were. We were actually supposed to see them um, as a birthday gift for me before mm-hmm. coronavirus hit. Yeah, it was like we were like getting ready to go. and Yeah. It was like I- that week of, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, and then they were like, hey, can't go to the Midwest because the COVID thing is serious. And then life just went downhill from that moment. I was so upset because, like, I love all the girls in that show. Mm-hmm. Like, they are so funny. But I really wanted to see Amanda, and, like, I, I love know. her you so keep, much. You, keep, you keep saying Amanda. I know. I love her so much. <laughs> in a very not creepy way, entirely respectful, I love Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. Should we wrap this up? All right. So good was, record. Good podcast. Good, uh, good <laughs> show. Yeah. Good it's show. Yeah. Good for me. Um, take two. All right. That's the end of our podcast. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Uh, we know that it was a really rough start, start to finish, but we're really thankful for you sticking it through, and we hope to. We hope that you listen again and hope that you enjoyed the stories we told today and enjoyed the tangents and rants that we went on about. It's just crazy. It's it's nice. I'm yeah. glad we have this. And remember, listeners, keep all eyes open. Special thanks to Carter Lewis for creating the intro music for our podcast. If you liked our podcast, please leave a review and be sure to follow for future content. Everything helps and everything is appreciated. Thank you.